So, uh, Isabelita just uh, gave us the best Dhamma talk. <laughs> Almost don't need words after that. Um, there were some things I wanted to say, and then and as I was just listening to this, uh, just from outside, I was realizing, oh, here it is being said in, in a very beautiful way. So, uh, you know, the, um, so one woman comes into the room with a microphone only and is able to completely change the energy, to lift, you know, after eating when we're all sleepy, to lift and open and uh, bring brightness, you know, in, in what would otherwise just be like, oh, I'll have a little sleep now. <laughs> I'll nod through the next, you know, whatever. And uh, you know, this is uh, one of the things I wanted to speak about is, is how you know, everything we need is, is here already. And uh, I think Isabelita just, just showed that to us very beautifully by, um, you know, she didn't, there were no props, there's no special lighting, there's no nothing, there's just one woman showing us how we can, we can move our energy and how we can use our intention to change the way we experience the world. So uh, I, I love to, uh, you know, I love this, this, this um, reminder and the, like using, working with chi energy, it's like what's always here and then we, we separate ourselves, like we get the separate me and, and then we get, oh, I'm so tired, I've got so much to do, I've got so much on my mind, you know, and then we kind of get into this little isolated unit of energy that gets exhausted and yet this, this um, universal energy is always available to us when we know how to access it. And I was reflecting on the, the title, um, Listening to Natural Law. You know, one, one way you could, describe, you could translate that is, is listening to the Dharma. And it's also just listening to the, to the natural way of things. So the practice of Qigong has come about through people listening to the natural way of things and learning from the natural way of things and then learning how to teach that because uh, qi is, is the most natural thing in the world. It's what's flowing, what keeps, uh, keeps the trees growing and the you know, life moving. And then, so, so where do we go wrong, you know? This human race, we're a bit of a crazy lot, aren't we? <laughs> and uh, I'd say, you know, we're, we're listening to the wrong things. So I said, the teacher was speaking about the, the open secret of, of the Dharma, like the truth of the way things are is, is always here for us to find. When we look in the right way, it's like, a, it's like an open secret. It's hidden, and yet it's not hidden. It's hidden when we don't look in the right way or when we're looking in the wrong place. But when, we're, when we just shift our attention a little bit, suddenly, oh, there it all is. So um, I think one of the problems is that we, we listen to, we don't listen enough to this body, the feelings. We, we believe too much in the, in the mind and, and what arises in the mind. And then we, we tumble into these uh, complicated scenarios in our lives, in our lives. <clears throat> So, you know, we all experience pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, lots of neutral feeling that we ignore, mostly. And, uh, and then, you know, of course, the pleasant feeling is nice, so we want more of that. And the uncomfortable, unpleasant feeling is not nice, so we want to get rid of that. And let's just ignore the rest because it's not very interesting, and that's, that's kind of the way we do it. And that has huge consequences, because we're, we're wanting to experience what's nice, what's good, what's lovely. And we can do it through, through those intentions that uh, Isvalita was just pointing to, through remembering, you know, what is the, what is the opposite of, of depression, inspiration? What is the opposite of sorrow, joy? You know, then it's not that we can always be joyful, always be inspired. That's not a natural way either. But that we, we don't get lost in the the negative, and we don't get lost in the, the bits that are too difficult, but that we, we see that life is a balance of there's joy, 
and there's some sorrow. There's fulfillment, and then there's times when it's a little bit, you know, not a little bit flat. And that's really okay. It's normal. It's meant to be like that. Um, so I want to speak a little bit about feeling, Vedana. So not, when I say feeling, I'm not speaking about like emotional feeling, but the, the direct sensation that arises. It could be physical or, or mental feeling. So the direct feeling that arises is that we, we love to feel pleasant feeling. You know, we love to eat nice food, smell lovely smells, see beautiful sights, have nice textures. You know, we love good ideas, you know, interesting concepts. We love these things. They're, they're, they're enjoyable. They give a pleasant feeling. They, a pleasant feeling arises from these. And then we, we want to avoid the unpleasant feeling, the, the painful body, the bad smells, the, uh, you know, the ugly bits that we want to hide away, the, the dull mind states or the, or the depressed mind states. We want to avoid those. And so we, we get ourselves caught in this cycle of endless, uh, in a way, wandering, endless searching for the, uh, you know, a, a life or a world that presents us only with the good bits and not with the difficult bits. And I think America has done an amazing job in, in getting as close to that as you can <laughs> on a physical level. You know, and California may be like top, you know. <laughs> Los Angeles, okay, I have not been to Los Angeles. So Los Angeles, which borrows water from, yeah. Um, and it has a great expense. It's, it, you can do it at a, at a great cost to others. A great cost to others. And so if we think that this is how it should be, then we're missing the natural way of things. We're missing the natural law. Because the natural law is you get some, some pleasure, you get some pain, you get quite a lot of neutral. You get some success, you get some failure, you get a lot of kind of neither one thing or another. That's just how it is, you know. It's life. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, simple life. <laughs> and then we look for the best bits, you know. We feel like, even a sense of entitlement, you know, I should have. I have a right to have the best and to be always happy. I have a right, you know. And then our right, which isn't really our right at all, is at the expense of others. Because in order to fulfill that, other, others have to work for very little. I was thinking about strawberries, you know, how strawberries are so nice. And then, you know, there was a time when we, we ate food in season or it would be canned or, you know, bottled or something. Now, you know, mm, strawberries are nice. So let's have strawberries... 12 months of the year, because we like strawberries, you know. So what does it cost to do that? It costs a lot. You have to use a lot of chemicals, you've got to use um, false environments. Then you have people working for almost no money to produce those so that, they, so that they can be sold at a price that people will buy them. All of this because we like strawberries, so we like strawberries, so let's have them all year round, you know. So this is what we're doing. We're overriding... The, the natural way. And the natural way is to have some time when there's plenty and there's feasting and there's you know, time to enjoy and there's some time when it's a bit less and we have to work harder. That's normal, that's natural. And yet we've, we've kind of been conditioned to think that there's something wrong in that, that we should have everything we want all the time. So uh, we're not... Uh, we're not separate little individuals, you know. California is not separate. LA is not separate. We are all interconnected. Everything on this earth is connected with everything else on this earth, and this, even just this planet Earth itself. The fact that it's the fact that we're not all spinning off somewhere, that we're actually staying here when we sit down, you know, we're not. Gravity is keeping us here. Is a universal play. The whole universe is at play to keep this gravity, uh, this in this this earth to keep us. Not it's not to keep us here, but it helps keep <laughs> us here. <laughs> so uh, you know we are we are totally part of the great interconnectedness of all things. And then we live as though we're we're separate, or maybe we've got one friend that's really special, or maybe we've got a little community that's like our tribe. They're our tribe. And uh, 
you know, we can have our special people and our, our special friends. And Tomorrow we'll be going to a bikini monastery, and I always feel like that's kind of my tribe, the bikini tribe. And it's a good feeling, you know, when people come together. And yet, that's just one little thing in the midst of this huge interconnected web of life. So when we blindly uh, seek to keep keep finding ways to um, support pleasant feeling here from outside sources. I'm not saying we shouldn't feel good. We totally, it's totally good to feel good. But from outside sources. So I need, I need that food. I need that tea. I need that clothing at that price. I need that phone, you know. All of those things. When, when, we, when those things, those external things are the conditions for our well-being, then we're kind of shackled in a way. And, and our well-being is at a, a large expense to others. Often, often children, you know, working in mines and switch, the sweatshops, there's all kinds of stuff. We all know about it now. And yet we still, we still buy those things, you know. So... Uh, so what is going on there? You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a fear of of being with difficult feelings, and so we want to fill it up with some nice feeling. And the, the Buddha speaks about this. He says, if you you know, for for one who doesn't know the practice, when when they experience or when we experience painful feeling, the only way they or we know how to get out of that is to find some nice sense experience. So this is the only way that's nice. It's like, okay, that feels bad. Let's find this nice, pleasant sense experience to, so that I don't have to feel that anymore. It's also, that's also that movement is the beginning of addiction. I'm sure many, many people here may know about addiction. That's the beginning of addiction, of like, this feels bad, I want to cover it up with, with that nice thing. And, uh, and so the Buddha is saying, you know, this, this is for the... He calls the, the uninstructed worldling, one who, who hasn't heard the Dhamma, one who doesn't know the Dhamma, will do that always. They'll think that the, well, that's, the, that's the way out you know, of this unpleasant experience, have something nice. And then it gets to the point where it doesn't, we don't really pay attention to where that comes from. We don't really care that much because it's just like, well, it's nice. You know, let's just not think about the rest behind the scenes. And then uh, you know, we experience pleasant feeling and... For the uninstructed worldling, you know, there's the, a wish to experience that more and more. So you want more of the same. And then for one who is practicing, you know, when when a painful feeling arises, we know painful feeling has arisen. It's simply knowing. We know painful feeling has arisen, and we know that it's it's like this. It's arisen. It's got a cause. It might be a physical cause that we can shift a little bit. It might be, a, you know, like we might be sitting on a rock that's too hard, and we can just move. You know, it might be simple, or it might be just the body experiences pain sometimes. And so we know painful feeling is painful, and we know that everything that arises is there for a while and changes. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to become the painful feeling. We don't have to be afraid that it's going to be here forever, because it changes. Everything changes, and so uh, so when that painful feeling arises, we can we can be with it. We can we can take it as a teacher. So like sit in a sitting in meditation, starts start to get pain in the in the body somewhere in the back or knee. If it's just, you know, if, it, if, you've got a, if you've got an injury, obviously you need to be careful and take care of that. But if it's just tension pain, which, it, which comes up in meditation, then just knowing, oh yeah, this is a painful feeling, and, and start to be a little bit interested in it, instead of the habit of turning away. So, uh, you know, the, the first noble truth is, is recognizing there is dukkha. There is unsatisfactoriness, as we were speaking earlier. Even in the most perfect setting, there is dukkha still. There is unsatisfactoriness. And then the instruction is to turn towards that dukkha, not there's dukkha, let's get away from it, but be interested, understand. Dukkha should be understood. And when it's understood, 
So the, it's, uh, when, we, when we understand it, we understand that the cause of dukkha is, is clinging, is attachment to me and mine. So if that's a painful feeling in the knee, painful feelings arising, and then the mind goes there, it ignores the rest of the body, goes there to the painful knee and tightens around it and says, ah, I've got a painful knee. And then it starts to create stories about what's going to happen and the surgery I'm going to have you know, tomorrow because of the terrible pain in my knee and all of that. It, we, we proliferate because we, we possess, we, own, we take ownership of that feeling. And uh, so that, that is the cause of dukkha. So the, the feeling is what it is, and then the, the clinging, the identifying, the contracting is the, is the extra that we put on top. And then the freedom from dukkha is letting go. So letting go is, is making space around, making space around what's arisen. So it might be a painful feeling in the heart, it might be a painful feeling in the body. We make space around it. We give it a little... You know, little room. We're not we're not glomming onto it. We're giving it room. And then, if we give space to painful feeling in the body and the heart, and we know that this is not who and what I am. This is arising now. It's got a cause. It's it's going to be here for a while, and it'll change. Then we don't have to be afraid of, of what arises. We can just we can let it come, let it teach us, and let it pass. And likewise with pleasant feeling, the Buddha says, you know, one who knows, um, one who is uh, instructed in the Dharma, they know the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of sensual pleasures. So, just enjoyed a really beautiful meal today that that was also given through generosity. So it's extra good. And um, and it's and the Buddha's not saying don't enjoy it, you know, you should only look at suffering. He's saying know the gratification. It's gratifying, it is wonderful, it's delicious, it's good. And it changes. This is the danger, the danger of attachment. It changes. And then the escape is no is just simply knowing that that process. So recently I was uh, I was co teaching a meditation retreat and um, the teacher and I were just exploring eating our breakfast. We were sitting together and, and, the, and we were out in the, in the wilderness and the cook, we had a very wonderful cook who'd prepared this beautiful breakfast for everybody. And uh, the, part of the breakfast was these very perfectly ripe peaches. They were just gorgeous. And we're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and there are these perfectly ripe peaches that have been cut up. And, and, and so we're eating these peaches... And then we're both agreeing, mm, they are so good. They are really, really good. They're, they're perfect. They're perfectly ripe. They taste gorgeous. They're organic. You know, wow. So we were eating these and just really with each spoonful of just, these are so, so, so good. And then as we were eating, it, you realize, oh, and there's only two spoonfuls left. <laughs> so then we take another spoonful, and it's, it's the same. It's equally marvellous. And then there's only one spoonful left. <laughs> and then you take that spoonful, and yes, it is perfect. And, and it's gone. <laughs> and it's gone. And it's gone from the tongue, and it's gone from the bowl, and it's just a memory. And it's like, oh, there it is. And then what happens? And then maybe there's a sense of like, a hole... Or a, or a wanting, or a little bit of sadness, or something, and there's a little bit of like, when you're really conscious with it, there's a little bit of like, oh, oh it's ended, you know? And, and while you're in it, while you're eating, you know, while you're in that pleasant experience, it feels like, if I just keep doing it, it's going to go on forever, and it's going to be great forever. But of course, if we did it forever, it would be disastrous. <laughs> you get very sick. So there's just this, just this, it's really good to be interested, you know? So not, not to have some kind of puritanical idea of shouldn't enjoy pleasant things, you know, that, that doesn't work because pleasure is pleasant, it's nice, it's enjoyable. But to really know it, to really know it and to, and to see for yourself how it changes, how, how ephemeral it is. How it's just, it's just at that moment on the tongue, that's it. It's just at that moment and then it's gone. And it'll never be the same again. 
I'll never eat those peaches again. Gone. Memory. And, it, and it's like that with, with all of it. It's all like that. This is the, it is both the tragedy and the wonder <laughs> of this life, <laughs> is that we can only experience it in this moment. That's it. And then it's gone. So uh, when we really know the gratification, the danger and the escape in the case of sensual pleasures, then there's freedom. Then we're free to enjoy those peaches. We don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to gorge ourselves on them. We can be fully present with them and then know also how it is when, they're, when they've passed, when they've gone. When they've gone, they've gone. Finished. So I really encourage you to explore that. It is, it's a very interesting practice. It's very relevant. Because otherwise we just keep on. Next nice thing, next nice thing, next nice thing. And uh, try and find things that will last for longer, you know. But what we need to do is to know the gratification. I'm going to call it the ending. And the escape being the knowing of all of that. That that which knows all of it and, and still survives. Doesn't die at the end of that peach. Still goes, still going. <laughs> well, it doesn't die because the peach has ended. But, you know, then, then you have the next feeling. So we get to know these, these feelings that, are, that arise and pass away all the time. They're going on all the time. And, and if we're not conscious, we just keep running after the nice ones, running away from the, the ones that are not nice and ignoring the rest of it. And the, the Buddha also spoke about um, uh, neither pleasant or un, nor unpleasant feeling, which is the bit we tend not to notice which probably takes up the largest percentage of our experience, I'd say. Um, and he said, for, uh, for those who, pay, when you pay attention to that neutral experience, that neither, neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience, that kind of nothing special experience, when you pay attention to that, it becomes pleasant. Because it's peaceful. It's not agitating. There's nothing going on. And when you don't, when we don't pay attention to it, when we kind of, you know, zone out or ignore it or whatever, or seek something else that's more stimulating, then it becomes a source of unpleasant, of pain, of dukkha. So even that which is nothing special, if we if we learn to pay attention to that, is so easily overlooked. If we learn to pay attention to that, then it becomes a source of of well-being actually, and, and of, of subtle pleasure. So we live in a in a culture that is is really is quite sensational. It's it's all about having a you know getting the next hit, having something new, something different, something better, uh, more exciting. You know the word excited, excited is used a lot here. <laughs> we don't say that in the UK so much. And um, so it's it's all about that the ups, you know, the highs. And yet, really deeply, what we're looking for is is you know, it's like a deeper happiness. And that deeper happiness, it, it doesn't really, you know, you can, it doesn't really come with the, the nice, you know, the pleasant sensations or with the hits. It comes for a moment and then we've lost it again. So we go up and then we go down. And then the Buddha is showing us this way that is, it's kind of more even. It's not like even really smooth because it isn't smooth. It's kind of bumpy old ride really. But it's... Um, it's like finding the, the well-being that is always available to us in any situation. And then when we learn to find that, then we're not so dependent on the external conditions to make us feel okay. And, you know, when we look at, I said she was speaking about climate crisis or climate chaos, you know, a large part of that is about trying to make everything feel nice, trying to feel cool when it's hot, trying to feel warm when it's cold, trying to, you know, have everything at our fingertips when we want it, trying to have it as much as we want, when we want, you know, all of that. It's, it's, it's such a, a burden on this planet Earth. It's exhausting. And the Earth is incredibly generous. It's just bringing forth fruits grains. It's just like amazingly, amazingly generous all the time. And yet we, we're pillaging it for our own 
gratification. We've been doing it for a long time. And it's, it's, you know, it's choking. It's choking under our greed. So we're all, we're all in it together, you know. There's no finger pointing. <laughs> we're all in it together. And uh, we need to learn how to live within our means and be generous back to this earth. And just like we need times of rest, you know, the earth also needs times of rest. It can't produce strawberries 24-7, 12 months of the year. It's not meant to. It's meant to have a rest in the winter. That's, that's how it's made. That's the natural way of things. So um, you know, it's always a little edgy when we look at you know, our own... Um, you know, how we, each of us is living and, and the things that we do that, that are part of the problem because we all do stuff and we all, you know, none of us, probably none of us here are free from greed. I'm certainly not. And uh, not free from aversion either, you know. So it's like we're, we're still working on it. But to really um, pick up the practice both as a, as a practice for freeing the heart, you know, to, to realize our highest potential and also as, as like an act of generosity, Act of kindness to the to the planet and to the people and creatures that live on this planet. So uh, you know, eating meat is you know, the Buddha didn't say you shouldn't eat meat, but probably if he saw the factory farms that are going on now, he'd say, don't support those, don't support those. Those are not those are not ethical. This is not right. So we have to be discerning. And um, honest, you know, in in uh, in what we need and what we take, and also what we put back into the world. Plastic, you know, amazing how we use plastic. Plastic, you buy a, a drink in a plastic cup with a plastic lid and a plastic straw, and you drink it for like what five minutes, ten minutes, and then you. Maybe chuck it away, or maybe it gets into the recycling if you're lucky. But for a lot of kids, it'll just go into the trash, and then what hangs around, what, a thousand years? It's crazy what we're doing. So uh, being really conscious, being really conscious, and, and um, from a place of love, you know, not from a place of... Um, what's that word? I don't want to say duty, because it is a certain duty of ours. We, it is a duty. But uh, not from a feeling, not, not because I feel bad if I don't, but because it's the right thing to do. So when we listen to natural law, you know, we see that uh, pleasant feeling arises, it's here for a while, it passes away. Painful feeling arises, it's here for a while, it passes away. Neutral feeling, if we pay attention to it, arises and then maybe shifts into pleasant feeling which also changes. It's not that none of them are fixed, they, they shift into each other all the time. And they are what they are. And the best way to bring a sense of happiness and well-being is to cultivate our own hearts in the many ways that Isabelita was speaking about, you know, cultivating generosity, kindness, joy, gratitude. And and to, to put back, you know, to give back to each other and to the world, you know, in whatever way we can, to give back generously. And then we're, we're back in the flow of things. We're not me here, all of you out there, and those people in some other country who, oh yeah. We're, we're, we're all in this together. So, you know, we can't be perfect. You know, it'd be nice if we could just kind of sort it all out overnight and just get it all clear and love to do that. But it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But we just learn how to take in the good that is freely given, freely available all the time. It comes from generosity. It comes from, um, it comes from clearing out the old rubbish from our own body and mind. 
and uh, you know doing good doing doing good not to, not like you know genuinely from the heart doing good in the world so I'd like to quote this phrase I don't know how people hear it but it comes up in the suttas a number of times when the world is on fire with aging sickness and death do good benefit beings I find that really powerful because we can't stop that fire from burning it's, it's, on it goes the, 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 every, every being who is born will die every baby that comes into this world will one day leave the world that's how it's made this is how we, we're meant to be that way all that is all that comes together will fall apart it's not a depressing truth it's a, it's a beautiful truth because if it didn't we'd be stuck with things forever you imagine <laughs> be like a, a plastic world wouldn't it so uh, everything that comes together falls apart every being that comes into into existence leaves existence and that's the the truth of the way things are so we align ourselves with the truth. And then when we're aligned with that truth, it's like, well, we can't stop that happening. But in the meantime, you know, before I come to that point where I have to let this body go, which could be today, could be 40 years, who knows? Do good, benefit beings. Well, how can I bring something good into this world? There are little ways, tiny little ways we can do it that make huge differences, both in relation to ourselves and to others. And so it can be just intention makes enormous difference. Action makes enormous difference. Speech can, be, can save a person's life. It's amazing. So just seeing you know, the ways that we can bring blessings, goodness, truth, courage, into this world standing up for others who are oppressed really really important speaking out when things are wrong standing up you know being courageous because we're going to die anyway so <laughs> might as well <laughs> yeah In the Tibetan tradition, they speak a lot about self-cherishing, the, the, um, you know, how self-cherishing is a is a is like an affliction. So that's not like self-respect and uh, you know, having a, a sense of well-being, but it's it's like obsessed with one's own world. It's like a, like an affliction. And so, you know, and we all fall into it in different ways. And so, like, learning how to step out of that. And even if it's a bit uncomfortable and reaching out to others and seeing what, you know, what can I do? How can I benefit beings at this time? So there's, there are many, many opportunities. And there are many, yeah, many different ways it can be done, depending on our different characters. But uh, you know, I, I just hope that as you leave this room at the end of the day long, that you, you go away either really conscious of the things that you're already doing and really taking those in and, and letting that, the strength of that fill you, or with something that you know, okay, I'm gonna, that's been on my mind, I wasn't quite sure, I was feeling a little scared, I'm going to do it. So I just, that's my wish for all of us today. So I'm going to end there. And I'd like to open up for uh, any questions that we can both respond to. There's a flyer outside that talks about the opening of the monastery tomorrow. Something in um, Pengrove. Could you speak to that? So
Because um, I didn't see any information, just that there was something happening. We can, we can speak about it at the end, that one. Because we let's we keep questions about the, the practice until then. But thank you. If I forget... Um, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about karma and climate change. I think let's first. I think let's first do questions like about the about the practice. It's yeah. What do you wanna? Okay. Yeah, okay. Karma and climate change is a great title for a day long for a retreat. <laughs> Um, well, you could say, uh, well, karma, just to first of all clarify with the word karma, because uh, it's often mis misused. So karma means action with intention. And um, we often think of karma as the results of actions. So there's another word for that, which is vipaka. Vipaka karma is the results of actions. And karma is what we, is what we bring to what is present now. So, uh, in terms of climate change, you could say it is the result of um, delusion. I think delusion is the, is, the, is the first, where it first started. The, the delusion that the human race is somehow superior and above nature and uh, can control nature for our own means and ends. I think that's where it, it, the problem has begun predominantly and and then there's you know greed of like what I've just been speaking about wanting to get all the nice bits for ourselves and get it all really comfortable and lovely and that has a big cost and uh, and also um, yeah the hatred side I, I think is it more comes out in war honestly which is also pretty destructive because in, in I think a lot of the the destruction of the planet that we as human beings are a part of is, is based in, in greed and ignorance. And, um, you know, then there is the, the reality that on a, on a huge scale, things change anyway. You know, like there's, there's been the ice age, you know, there's like the, the, the planet Earth goes through cycles of heating and cooling and that's normal. But the, the rapidity of what's been going on for the last, I don't know, how many years, 100, 100 years or so, is, is, is extreme. And is definitely, I would say, confidently, definitely connected with human activity and probably overpopulation of the, of the human race also. Um, so, so, that, so now we, and, and more so our, I mean, we, I don't have children, but you know, I have friends who have babies and who are bringing their children up at this time and so this is what we pass on to our future generations is a, is a is the result of our and our maybe our parents and possibly grandparents greed and confusion so we've had our nice little party and now we leave it to the kids to clean up you know so if they can so the you know the the Anyway, it's kind of it's, some of it's been action with intention. Some of it's been action with confused intention. I think there was a time when we really, really believed that you know we are above nature and we can. I think some people still do believe that we can uh, tinker with and, and go beyond the laws of nature. This is a, this is a ridiculous delusion <laughs> because we can a little bit, you know, but not really. We we are part of nature. This, this, these bodies are born of nature. They are not special. And they will die like everything else. They're nothing special. Um, so I think uh, some of it was, was through confusion and, and a, a sort of a misinformation, and some of it is through greed that we've all been part of in a way. And now, the karma of the situation now is that we don't know what to do. We don't know whether whether we can turn things back, whether we can correct the situation enough to uh, avoid enormous change on the planet. We don't know. 
And we're also amazingly slow at, at responding to the, to the very urgent situation that we're in. And uh, you know, it has been said that if, if, we, if, if, if we actually realize how serious it is, really get it, then there would be huge mobilization. could happen you know, really quickly, just as it would if we were at war. If this country was at war with another country, things would change rapidly. You know, factories would start producing weapons and that were producing whatever, you know, tin cans or whatever. You know, it's like things would change quick. Whereas, because we don't quite take it in, we don't, things aren't changing. And there is no, part of the problem is there's no enemy. You know, it's, it's, we're all doing it. There's no them that we can defend ourselves from. It's, it's, it's all of us. So it's a little bit kind of difficult to pin down. But, um, yeah, it is very serious. And um, I know uh, for the... For the next, you know, for the young generation, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to inherit. So when I was growing up, I'm nearly 50 now, and when I was growing up, you know, we were aware of the, some of this stuff we were aware of. So I think when I was 18, I first heard about, about uh, global warming. So the information's been around quite a long time. Um, but... Now it's like it's not just a few people who know about it. Now it's, it's very, very clear to everybody, to, to many people. And then what we do is, is remains to be seen. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge... Um, we have a huge karmic uh, responsibility, in a way, to do what we can for future generations. So that would be my answer. Yeah. Do you want to say any more? Okay, Hi. how do you follow that? <laughs> Thank you for this very comprehensive Dhamma talk. Um, and you hit a high note towards the end of the goodness of our practice. So thanks for hitting that. <laughs> um, my practice question, you know, is around guilt, right, and loss. So it's the guilt of I could have done more or I can do more uh, in any given moment. And then the loss of um, uh, the more I, open I am to uh, the experience or to the tenderness of the experience, the more I feel like I'm in an unsafe world or the more I feel a lack of safety or spaciousness or freedom. So I know these are two really big and of not just qualities of the heart, but experiences in relationship to all this that um, I'm feeling like I'm getting a little tossed around by. So wherever you want to go with that, mm -hmm. thank you. So um, speaking about, can you hear me? Speaking about, um, you know, guilt and uh, as, as opposed to regret. I mean, regret is really a very skillful way of learning and but guilt is a bit more than that, you know. It's not working, I think. Is it on? It's on, yeah. It is on. Maybe pull it a bit closer. Can you? Yeah. It's kind of strange, isn't it? So I think regret is a very important part of the practice. I think without you know, regret, many people would never get to practice in the first place. So I think it's, it's, it's a skillful mindset if you not you know let it uh, turn into guilt but use it really as a, as a you know as a emotion which gives you a sense of urgency you know if you in hindsight see you know i could have done more but i just didn't know any better then you just let it really let that regret be known and and then make that a stepping stone you know for for deepening your practice. So don't turn away from the regret. Because, you know, if you only half-heartedly attend to the regret, it's easily going to become guilt because you're not, you know, you're not really working with it. It's just like a little bit, you're a little bit aware and then you kind of distract yourself and then it becomes... You're not using it, you know. You don't, you don't use its potential, actually, to strengthen your practice and to give you energy to next time, you know, do maybe 
to more, you know, and, and respond in a bigger way. And uh, being able to, you know, uh, step over your shadow or whatever, your boundaries. I think uh, regret is a, a positive force in the practice. And in the Pali, it's called like Hiri Otapa. Uh, what are the uh, kind of translations? Hiri, hiri means... Uh, it can be translated as respect for oneself. And respect for others, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, respecting your yeah. own wish, you know, of having, of, of wanting to do more, you know, and not let it kind of fester into guilt. So I think that's what comes to mind, you know, and then those considerations about, you know, in, on one hand, you know, the world is not safe because many things can happen, you know, and many things do happen. And in a bigger sense you know you can never fall out of the universe and and your experience you know the way how you experience it has a lot to do you know with the quality of your own mind so i think you know it's it's important to when you do feel you know in in certain companies with certain people certain situations we do feel unsafe with a lot of reason you know because you know we can meet people who who uh, who treat us in a certain way because of their own limitations you know which can be difficult to work with and then uh, you know find ways you know to meet that as as good as possible and then work with the rest, really. And, or maybe just sometimes not go to certain places, you know, where, where you feel it's, it's unsafe. Discernment, you know. But regret is really a good thing. Without regret, I would have never started, you know, to practice, I think. Because I really had this strong wish you know, to be able to uh, respond more fully to certain situations, but I just didn't know how to do it, you know. And then I was looking for some kind of guidance, you know, so I could change, you know, my mind, basically. And, and the regret was really the, the beginning of, it, of all of it, you know. So regret is not a negative thing. It just really shows you, you know, that in the depths of your heart there is this potential, you know, and you just need to find the right ways, you know, to lay it open. And the regret is that kind of a reminder. And you just go with it, you know. Mm. Yeah. So I add, add one thing just because I know you a little bit. Because... Um, it's also, you know, sometimes we, we, f we regret that we can't do more than we are doing because we want to make the world right. And uh, we, it's beyond our means to make the world right, but we can do what we can. And I know that you do that, at least you have done. And uh, so I think it's also really important to, to take in what you are doing and what you have done and, f and have a real sense of self-respect for that and just realise, like much as I would like to make it right, I can do, only do as much as I can do. Yeah. Thank you. If you turn on the news or listen to the radio, there'll be a lot of information that strikes a lot of fear in people's minds and hearts. And then you see it spiral and ripple in further news. And then if it's me listening to it, I, I can feel it in my body. And I can feel myself reacting. And then my mind will start going and then I'm part of it. And I really, really love being here. And I'm looking for 
conscious way to relate to that energy so that I can embrace it and work with it and I don't know if it's spin it somewhere else (laughs) or really, really include it in my experience um, without some kind of intellectual bypass. Yeah. It is pretty scary, I agree. Many things. Fear, you know, fear is... um, the basis, oh, well, there's, there's fear, which is a, a, a survival instinct, which we have, which is natural, which occasionally is needed, very occasionally is needed, but not very often in a lifetime. Depending on our life circumstances, it'll be more for some than for others, because some people are more targeted than others, and some life situations are more vulnerable than others. But it's good to get a, a reality check on your own life and see you know, how dangerous is it, really, and uh, how many, you know, incidents have there been in my life that, that really invoked fear? And then, for me, anyway, the times when they did, the fear was there immediately. You didn't, I didn't need to kind of plan it and get it rolling before. You know, there it is. It, it's there. So um, much of the time, the fear is, is um, about something that isn't actually happening here and now with oneself. It's about an idea or a thought. And, and fear is based in separation. So when we feel a sense of connection with others, we, we don't feel afraid. We feel relaxed or enjoyable or whatever. And so fear is based in separation. And, and part of what goes on is, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, a, it's an old, a very old and well-known power dynamic. You know, divide and conquer. Keep, keep the, the plebs... <laughs> divided, you know, and uh, and so that's what we hear through the media. We we hear about them, them and us, and then we we're on this side or that side of who's right and who's wrong. And, and as long as we stay in that in that mindset, we cannot avoid feeling fear because we we're alienating ourselves and others. And the the truth is that we're not separate, that we, have, that we affect each other all the time in everything we do. And, uh, you know, in America, skin colour is a huge, huge division, extreme. And it's kind of crazy. Skin, you know, it's like, what? But this is, this is a really big deal in America. It's serious. It's, it's scary here. And uh, so looking at ways to consciously and um, actively not fall into those, those dividing lines, meet on, on, our, on our common humanity. And also sexual orientation, you know, dangerous now. Not, you know, not everywhere, but it's dangerous to not be white heterosexual. <laughs> And yet, you know, huge, huge amount of the population are not white and not heterosexual. So, you know, here we all are together. We're not, we're not separate. We're not different, really. We're, we're human, common human beings, common human experience. And then there are there are some situations where, you know, our our outer form will invoke a different response than, than somebody, than our, than our neighbour. This is the kind of craziness of it. I'm going to plug this book now. <laughs> um, we were invited, we were invited to, um, to mention any books that we'd like to be promoted, and I haven't men- we haven't mentioned it yet, we we're going to mention it at the end, but I would like to just mention this one, because this, is, this directly addresses this, this question. I just want to read this bit. <laughs> And it's called The Way of Tenderness. And it's by Jenzu Earthlin Manuel, who's a Zen monk, female monk, African-American. And uh, this book is The Way of Tenderness. Um, brings Buddhist philosophies of emptiness and appearance to bear on race, sexuality, and gender. 
using wisdom forged through personal experience and practice to rethink problems of identity and privilege. So, um, you know, on, the, on an ultimate level, all of this is empty. We're all the same, and there's no problem. On a conventional level, endless difficulties. So, we need to learn not just to zoom out into the, into the ultimate, because here we are, we, we meet experience dependent on, on this external form. And yet, inside, in, in the centre of things, there is absolutely no difference. In the centre of things, there is the heart is one. There is no difference. Better on the conventional level, there is. And so we, we don't want to override the conventional. And yet, we also have to take in the, the, the truth of our interbeing. So in that place of... Uh, so when fear arises... There are meditation practices like the four Brahma-viharas, metta, loving-kindness, compassion, appreciation of others' good fortune, and equanimity. Those are, those are unifying forces. And then also just you know, reach out to people and connect and learn about, you know, as a white man, I do it as a white woman, learn about privilege and what that means. So... I hope that's helpful. We can't just we can't just uh, skip over the fear, but it's also the fear. It doesn't help anything. Does that help? Does that make sense? It's a wonderful paradox. It's a, it's a tragic paradox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we can we can do one more question. Okay. There is one. Thank you for being here. I'm, um, I stood today, I went for one moment, I had a, a feeling that all the practice came to get, all the practice came together. I stood on the place that the old building was, and I was here when it started. So a lot of things came from, to me at the same time. I really, not, not even on the, uh, it was, on a different level than words. But I really stood there and I just walked to there and I felt really, I had this strong feeling. I had a lot of thoughts, a lot about those buildings. It was a lot, it meant it's just buildings, but, and I was here when Ajahn Amaro was here and talked about it. So I'm going through the process of, um, so one of the things I just wanted to, first I wanted to just share it, that that was, and then I, after that, I was thinking, I'm working on letting go. That's a big thing. My daughter just got married, and <laughs> it's a big letting go. Wow, you know, to the level that I really, and, and I'm trying to go deeper and deeper with that, so to the level of completely letting her go, you know. How do you do this in what sense? So when you talk about the planet and human race, I'm thinking about that. I mean... Instead of staying all the time on the level, I want to, to function from a place that I'm letting it go. It was here, and maybe it won't be here. It's to go to that level and function from there, and I'm not sure. So I just want to hear your thoughts about it. I don't know what exactly, but that's, for me, it's not possible yet. I'm not there. <laughs> so it's, that's where I'm going with letting go. So anyway. You know, letting go doesn't mean you let go of planet Earth, you know, you don't care, but it means letting go of your preconceived notions about, you know, what, about the confusion and about the, the kind of fear and about the, you know, the, the kind of sense of, of you know, of, of feeling contracted around all of those issues. But it's, it's not about letting go of your care and of your concern. Do you know what the difference is? Yeah. So it's a kind of, I think, you know, to, like Ayanara Bodhi said before, to really kind of work with, you, with the intention, with your own intention, with your own motivation, with your own, you know, your heart wish for all of this to be well, you know, including yourself and and your daughter and, and you know your family and, and your big, the bigger family up to the whole universe you know so it's it's about really uh, 
it's not a letting go in the sense of kind of throwing it away, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a letting go in the sense of holding it lightly, you know, not like I must uh, do this, I must do that, and I must know now. It's just like, okay, you know, I have this, this very strong, you know, wish from the heart that, that everything should be well. And, and, to, and to kind of, this letting go is like this. It's not kind of thinking, because I can't make up, you know, I, I don't have a plan how to do it, I just throw it all away and turn away from it and kind of distract myself. So that this is a different way of letting go and it happens in every moment, you know, when you notice that, you're in a, that your mind is contracted or your heart is contracted because... Maybe you don't know what to do. There's a feeling of grief and feeling of loss when you stand over there, the old buildings, you know, the good old times when there were much less people here, you know, and you had a much more kind of intimate contact maybe with some people. Now it's a big, it's a big uh, operation here. And, you know, the old times are gone, but they are still in some way part of you, you know, because they were your path. And to just kind of take that all in, you know, but you can't take that in if you're doing like that. It's just kind of noticing that, you know, that feeling of loss and then just letting it go for a moment. And then, there, then you have those experiences you were speaking about, you know, where suddenly everything comes together and you know, you know, I'm on the right path. And then there's a contraction again and then you let it go again. So it's not letting it go once and then it's let go. It's a letting go and a letting go and a letting go a million times, a trillion times, you know. And then through, through familiarizing yourself with that open mind, you know, which is the result of a momentary letting go, the mind slowly, slowly becomes more spacious, you know. And then at one point there would be full enlightenment, you know, which is a permanent open mind, you know. But for now, we are all on the path, and for us it's the same, you know, we have to let go every moment too. And, and what we train ourselves in, in these practices, you know, to be aware when we are caught. And then responding with letting go. And then being aware when we're caught again, and letting go. <laughs> and on and on it goes, you know. And that's what we're all doing. Well, you know, that's the practice. That's really the essence of the practice. And, you know, all schools of Buddhism, Mahayana, Vajrayana, Theravada, thousands of books written in the bookstore, hundreds of books over there, whole internet, everything full with teachings, everything about letting go, you could say, you know. <laughs> because for everybody had a different way how it worked for them, and then they say, do it that way, that really works. And then everybody else, no, no, do it that way, that really works. And it's all about that, you know. And it's, it's something, it's not a one-off a one letting go. No. And then, you know, sometimes we have this wonderful coming together of causes and conditions where you feel, then you have a taste, a real strong taste of that result of letting go. And then you know where you're going, you know, with your practice. It's really great. You know, where you're going is like, instead of somebody telling you, you know, how, trying to describe how honey tastes, just take a spoon of honey. That's like a spoon, you know, of, of that, what we are practicing for. And then really cherish that and, and keep going in that direction. And that's all we can all, we can't do more than that, you know because we don't know how, you know, the practice, the fruitioning of the practice, we don't know how it goes, but we know how to practice. And then we have to let go of that too, you know, we don't have control over the result of the practice. So it's, and allowing ourselves to be surprised, you know, and allowing, uh, the path, you know, to unfurl in front of us, you know, as you are stepping, as you are stepping, as the stepping stones are appearing. And the more, you know, the, your, your trust in that process is getting strengthened through taking a little risk, you know, then it, it, the, 
process, you know, of the practice gains gains strength because there's more faith because it works. Yeah. Okay. And that's a lovely, you know, uh, I, I know exactly what you're speaking about, you know, when you had that that moment because that's, you know, that keeps us going uh, in the practice, yeah. And then we feel, oh, I want one more, I want one more, and I go over there tomorrow again, maybe it comes again, and never <laughs> going to come again that way. As soon as we want it too much, it's gone. Yeah, that's the, that's the paradox of the practice, that, you know, as, as soon as you run after it, it's lost, you suffocate it in the, in the, with the wanting, you know. Yeah. Because all wishes are fulfilled by letting go of the wanting. That's mm-hmm. the paradox of the practice. And so we can't really, you know, I, I found that so wonderful um, example in, in the scriptures also, you know, instead of covering over the whole earth with leather in order to don't feel the pain, you know, on the, on the ground, you just wear shoes. Then wherever you step, there's leather, you know, wherever you're safe. So it, it's like, it's this paradox of, if you don't want to kind of, you know, um, what's the word here, um, control everything in your life, then there is much more possibility, you know, that you can have the taste of, of what you have been experiencing. And then as soon as you want it, you know, to have it back on your own terms, it's going to escape you again. <laughs> and, but by, you know, by, by practicing and by watching that process, that's, we learn it. And, and then there is more capacity to, uh, you know, trust the process more deeply. And then the world responds accordingly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.